This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Verbus Diablo. Petty Faithful, this is Derek on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful Season 2, Episode 2, Verbus Diablo. Yes, hello, fellow Darklings. This is John as well. Dare I say it? Looking forward to getting into the devil's tongue? Um, <laughs> that seems a little dodgy to me. Little uh, but yes, uh, can't wait to get into this one. Mm-hmm. And welcome, welcome, everyone. Hello, I'm, I'm back. Looking forward to talking all things dark and, and evil and... You know, generally horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> dreadful. I should say dreadful. Definitely dreadful. Definitely dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely dreadful. Yes. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's jump straight into our discussion about Verbus Diablo. Uh, episode once again, directed by James Halls and written by showrunner John Logan. John, do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode of Penny Dreadful? Sure. Vanessa survives a nighttime visit from the three witches and Samalcan promises to do his best to protect her. He shows her a soup kitchen and medical clinic of sorts where he donates some of his time and money. There, Vanessa meets the creature. Sir Malcolm meets Mrs. Poole in a department store where she mesmerizes him. Ethan, Vanessa, Dr. Frankenstein and Sir Malcolm invite Ferdinand Lyle to translate the Verbis Diablo for them from the British Museum. He tells them that in the 11th century, a monk named Father Gregory claimed he was possessed by a demon who spoke to him in the Verbis Diablo. He wrote down what he was told and those artifacts are now contained in the British Museum. Dr. Frankenstein, meanwhile, has successfully reanimated Brona, now called Lily, but he struggles with his own feelings for her. She quickly learns to speak and has lost her accent, but has no memory of her past life. Dorian Gray meets Angelique, who works in a brothel. Finally, Inspector Rusk visits Warren Roper, one of the men who was severely injured in the attack at the Mariner's Inn. At this stage, the doctors have no idea if he will ever again be able to speak. Yes, the cat's got your tongue, or in this case, a massive werewolf. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Ripped it out, no doubt. Maybe, maybe. But hopefully he'll be able to speak in future. Uh, It will be bad times for Ethan if he does actually tell the story of what actually happened to him on that day. But again, intriguing that the person that's left alive is one of the Pinkertons who was following Ethan. So he's very unlikely to tell the story of what happened, isn't he? If anybody else had been left alive, they may have told the story about this man who transformed. Uh, oh my God, scary, scary. But this uh, Pinkerton True. who was on the trail of Ethan, he's not going to give up his quarry just because he was attacked and lost half his face. No, exactly. Uh, I'm just wondering how Cherry Phosphate may react if he takes a swig of that into his kind of a presumably destroyed face. Oh, he'll definitely need a few ice chips. A fizzy face <laughs> he will have. <laughs> 
Just because you looked up Terry Phosphate because you had no idea what it was. No, I didn't. <laughs> Nobody else remembers the line at all. But uh, I, he will need some ice chips. That was the other thing. Ice yeah, chips exactly. are a little more important. <laughs> um, although Cherry Phosphate, the precursor to the worst drink ever, mm-hmm. Cherry Aid. Yeah, uh, awful. Oh. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, this episode features probably the scariest moment uh, from John's history of watching television. Uh, and I think he mentioned at the start of our episode one of season two discussion that he didn't realize this moment happened so early <laughs> in the show but can we should we get it out of the way now john and yeah. to talk about your big moment from this episode that still has you waking up screaming i suppose this is a bit of a juicy one as well uh, to be honest um yes it is the doll house from hell mm. um or dare i say it, the doll house in the basement of the witch's coven Oof. Um, yeah, I didn't realize this was introduced so early. And dare I say, I didn't realize that the, uh, baby thing, or I think I should call it the baby autopsy, uh, came in here. But yes, we, I suppose we do get to the heart of the matter, uh, with this. Um, and, um, and that heart being a, a, a baby's heart. Um, but, this is both like to me it is amazing and incredibly just diabolical gruesome and uh yeah very it is evil personified and if we're talking about the the um if we're talking about the devil's tongue certainly um this has an appropriate amount of of darkness around it and dare Mm -hmm. i say it'd probably be too much possibly for some uh some viewers yep but effectively one of evelyn pool or madame carly's uh daughters has uh kidnapped um a baby off off the underground um killing her the the baby's mother and father um and has brought it back to the coven where um madame carly is now about to use and the the heart of this baby to effectively bring to life um a doll that she ha- has made mm. and so effectively um i i've kind of in my notes i've almost it's almost like an intricate voodoo doll it is yeah. to to bring the inanimate to to life here um and uh the just the way this is done i mean i the camera following um, Helen McQuarrie down the spiral staircase uh, with the darkness really nicely done. Mm. The um, the music is is appropriately uh, atmospheric, um, and I, I do like that they've introduced a choral element because mm-hmm. um, that really does um, add to um, the. I suppose the the wibbly wobbliness of it, um, the, the the frightening, you know, yeah. being um, kind of off balance, you know, that the the voices, it, it kind of it, it feels as though Madame Carly is not acting alone, even though she is. It's like there is some kind of unseen presence, i.e., the master, her master, uh, watching her and directing her in this by having this choral, and I I think it's always. Um, it's always good to have a bit of choral to add a, a godliness or, or devilness mm. to uh, a piece of music. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, this ceremony that she is doing to reanimate, um, this doll of effectively, uh, Vanessa. Um, and it's just very really, lifelike as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really lifelike, really creepy. There is a moment where it's spinning around and you just have the doll's eyes. Um, the, her sort of dissecting the 
the baby so this autopsy to get the 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 heart but there is one moment where it focuses on a doll who's got the, these big eyes with <laughs> I shouldn't laugh uh with the mouth open and it's like I think we all had that expression yeah. on our faces um <laughs> exactly. as we were watching this this scene um but Again, Helen Macquarie, the the commitment, because, you know, you can imagine getting your script going, what do I have to do? (laughs) I I mean, like what? And the commitment of her um, the the sheer sense of her as a force of evil Mm -hmm. really comes across here uh, in this creepy doll filled. I mean, dare I say I hate dolls. Clowns are a walk in the park. Dolls, certainly these these kind of dolls or, or the Victorian dolls, like get out of there. If anyone has them, they're going straight in the tip and <laughs> um, from my side, because it's like a massive really compliment to the, to the set designer and, yeah. the, and the prop oh, maker absolutely. for this episode. Cause they, they do look realistic. I don't know whether they went out to shops and bought or out to museums and took uh, old style dolls, but they look realistic for the time, but it's just seeing the walls as the, as the camera pans upwards as well as side to side, where this room yeah. is a very high room filled with dolls from floor to ceiling and they're all watching on. And then you get the impression by the end of the scene, because the heart is inside this Vanessa doll that potentially every single one of those dolls is another person in London or around the world yeah. being controlled by this coven of witches. Yeah, or a, or a victim of, of some sort. Yeah. Um, I, I think as well, just that final moment, which is right at the end, where Vanessa kind of almost takes a, a, a stumble forward mm-hmm. and a breath in, you know, as that connection is made yeah. between her and this doll, which is now under the control of the, the witch coven, mm-hmm. um, is is really interesting. And I mean, for Madame Carly as well, you know, she seems to despise Vanessa. Um, and, and it's maybe because her master favors Vanessa above her. And she's actually, she realizes she's having to do his, his bidding to effectively replace herself almost, um, maybe maybe in the food chain, or at least put someone a peg higher. Mm. Um, so you really get a sense of, of, of hate from, um, Madame Carly yeah. towards Vanessa here and, and it being done in this doll form as well. You just wonder what she will do. But as I say, it, it is almost like a voodoo doll. I mm-hmm. suspect I'm expecting pins or, or whatever going into it. Yeah. Um, or whatever she's going to do to it, um, yeah, yeah, kind of really does take it to the next level from the voodoo dolls as well. Like you expect it to be just like a stuffed, a stuffed doll with mm-hmm. with some pins, as you say, John. But um, in true to the to the age, uh, when she opens up the doll, there's a lot of mechanics in there as mm-hmm. well, and she yeah. actually connects the baby's heart mm-hmm. to all those mechanical bits yeah. and pieces in there. It's so, so it's a lot more complicated than just your run-of-the-mill voodoo doll. Yeah. Um, you know what yeah, those things. We all have them. <laughs> Former <laughs> <Exactly>. bosses, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they are, oh, wow. It, it was so good, as you say, Derek, as well. The way that the set designers arranged the order of them as well, mm. I don't know about you, but each time it's going, oh, 
my gosh, that was scary. Yeah. Oh, God, that's even more terrifying <laughs> than the last one. And it got progressively worse and like more yeah. horrifying as we went yeah. along. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think when you get to that one, that one doll with its eyes wide open and mouth wide open, it's, it's just <laughs> placed perfectly. It's at that moment where you're going, it can't get any worse or you can't. Uh, but it does, it does kind of speak to that thing of coming to this show with your own perspective and your own experience of shows like this and movies like this that you've seen before. You, well, I, certainly expected that what was what was happening here was they were effectively going to ad- well let's say adopt the baby into their coven for some reason i didn't think it was going to be a sacrifice and take the heart out i thought they were stealing the baby for a purpose maybe raising it within their coven was kind of the idea that was going through my head yeah. so when it happened uh, you know when they when she arrives with a brown bag that's closed i, I suddenly realized oh okay that was that's the uh, dead baby that she's brought with yeah. her this I just kind of thought yeah. they were going to eat it for Maybe. some reason. Yes, just because she'd been too. bathing in blood, I yeah. was like, yeah. yeah, this isn't going to end well for this little thing. But even yeah. even eating it, I don't know well, that's going to sound really bad. I'm trying to work out how, how best to say this. <laughs> um, but even if they were eating the baby, I don't think we would have gotten the scene of the baby dissection that happens, which I do think right. is still massively shocking. I'm a horror fan. I, I've watched a lot <laughs> of horror is. movies and I haven't seen yeah. something like that in there. I do think this may have been a moment in season two where casual viewers of Penny Dreadful <laughs> who kind of can dismiss the horror in some, in some episodes, that might've been a moment where they went, whoa, okay, too far. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I suppose again, it, it's, it's the idea of infanticide anyway has been um, a part of, you know, culture as this old sect, um, you know, the use of sacrifice as well for what you would think of as being a spiritual, adding to a, a spiritual plane or, or, or for, um, appeasing the gods. It, you know, it's something that's not, I mean, this did seem like a sacrifice, yeah. but to an end of, um, control. sort of control. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, sacrifice whether from the aztecs and for all the egyptians the, these routine ritual sacrifices was about um controlling the population here it's more specific mm. uh, and more supernatural but again not to say that it isn't shocking it is mm. but it, it's it's something that um is not unusual well that this is but yeah. the killing of a baby for some kind of sacrifice um or a newborn yeah. you know possibly i i think another show would have just dealt with in dialogue i think that's <laughs> yeah maybe did maybe. you kill that baby yeah it is grant move on yeah <laughs> so that's yeah. true I, I yeah i i mean when when she had the baby's body out there as well i, I was thinking yeah how, how far are, are they going to take this and when she mm. took the knife out it's like well like, i'm sure this would turn off many yes. yeah like, many casual viewers yeah. um it is i wouldn't say crossing the line but it's pushing the boundary it for, really for, is. For kind of horror and again well well done to um the actor uh for for, for doing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it, it's a very strange thing to do definitely i dare i say it as well ray that in terms of your main point for this i was there going i really want to do the lighter heart is part of this rather than the well the other heart part of this um which is the teeny tiny baby heart yeah yeah, yeah the darker so heart. um well speaking of which right do you want to take us on to your main point for this episode yeah um i picked this one because this one threw me i mean i have watched the the series before but um it's been a while so i kind mm-hmm. of forgot and and again um ferdinand lyle actually in cahoots with the witch's coven, I thought, I wow, know. okay, here we go. Um, he, 
and he kind of lost a little bit of respect from me as well because mm-hmm. I was enjoying his character so much. And then it's like, no, you can't be yeah. doing this to to mm-hmm. the team. Um, but we find out from Evelyn Poole that they have some um, stuff on him yeah. that uh, threatens to to reveal. Uh, nothing's really divulged, but you did you get the sense that there are a lot of, um, I guess, photographs or, or some sort of evidence of uh, something outside his marriage. Yeah. Um, well, a lot some of things sort of outside his marriage, I think, is, is kind of what comes across. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, I think yeah. when they say they have photographs, it's just you see one of them going so many photographs. Like, <laughs> you were so indiscreet. I think it's just yeah, one, of those, one of those moments where it's like, if you didn't want this to be found out, you really should have taken one photograph. Not hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I love that, he, he, you know, he does pluck up the courage to sort of counter um, Evelyn Poole here, but it's around his hair colour mm-hmm. and she just yes. laughs it off. And I, I it's like, my hair colour is natural. Yeah. Um, and yeah. she just laughs. Um, and I just thought that was great. Mm-hmm. A bit like you, Ray. Yeah, I had forgotten that there was this association and, and yeah. where he was effectively being blackmailed, really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, um, by the the coven uh, but i thought he was excellent in this episode and yep. brought the light relief um for sure mm-hmm. to to mm. this episode which it needed given what we've just discussed about under my point yeah yeah i mean w- with also his role for the rest of this episode as well it's really good because it sets up that that you kind of scrutinize his every action now mm-hmm. after it being revealed that he's kind of it in there with the witch's coven. So I found that really effective yeah. because uh, where he was just comic relief, now you're kind of like, you know, you kind of question everything yeah. he does because he, he says he wants to misdirect them. So mm-hmm. um, he's there, he's responsible for actually helping them decipher this Verbus Diablo from the artifacts from the museum, which they will, you know, hoping to get. Yeah. Um, what's he going to do? He's, he's not going to translate it properly or not. Although you do get Ethan, who who is well versed in Latin as mm-hmm. well, um, and Sir Malcolm, who knows his Arabic. So uh, there are things that they can't, that he can't kind of um, pull the wool over. Yeah. Um, some of the, yeah. yeah. I, I do kind of like that, uh, even with the blackmail, that effectively Evelyn Poole is saying to him, Oh, well, go ahead and translate the whole thing because it all leads to me in the end anyway. <laughs> like, I like that she kind of has spoiled the whole, um, investigation piece that he's, that's going to be, going to be happening because they'll all end off on her doorstep anyway. So just let, let them go ahead. Let them decipher it. Let them take weeks to do that. It all leads to me. I'm the final end yeah. point. Like, that's quite, quite interesting. Uh, but Lila's is a favorite character definitely. And in this episode, mm. he has some fantastic moments. His flirtation with, uh, with Ethan. Oh is hilarious from the first moment he arrives when he goes oh you're gigantic i look positively lilliputian (laughs) in your in your shadow (laughs) and then he hears his voice and goes oh american i can't contain myself you know yeah (laughs) fantastic him fawning over ethan is just so so good Mm -hmm. um what the other thing he says because i think the writing here for for mr lyle um it is is great he you know he turns to ethan and he goes mischief is best on his small groups isn't that right mr chandler as though um you know we're expecting some mischief from from the two of them mm-hmm. um it's it's all very uh, a little entendre you know in in this double entendre um from from mr lyle presumably related to the photographs that madame carly has mm-hmm. um as well but uh yeah this the fawning um over Ethan is is really good. What's the 
<laughs> what's the other one where he says he will bring both guns and it, it elicits like yes. this real sort of just laughter from from Mr. Mr. Lyle uh, as uh, he's going to bring uh, both his guns mm-hmm. to their sort of secretive quest in in the the vaults of the British Museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it how Ethan. Um, doesn't play it down and doesn't shoot him down, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I love how he kind of plays along with him anyway. Yeah. It, it yeah. just shows a nice kind of, um, you know, kind of friendship between the two and a camaraderie. Yeah. Um, so, again, that just all adds to the fact that, you know, later on we know that Lyle is not 100% loyal to the group. So Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I was saying to John that, um, that I read the uh, portrait of Dorian Gray in between the first and second parts of our discussions on Penny Dreadful, and this is the kind of playful discussions that you have between some of the characters, between Dorian and, and his benefactors, I suppose, or his, his group of friends. This is the kind of playful discussions that you have where there's lots of not even sexual tension. It's just lots of sexual innuendo discussions between them where they just banter back and forth all the time. It's sort of innocent, but also you, that there would be a possibility that Lyle would absolutely jump Ethan if he gave, given the opportunity as well. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I love the banter yeah. between it. It's part of the fun of, of everything that's going on. And I love that Ethan plays into it as well. I think that's, that's quite fun because of obviously the relationship he had with, uh, with Dorian Gray in season one as well. So, um, Lyle seems to be a favorite character of everybody you see uh, as he arrives for dinner um you see vanessa going oh our guest is here and getting ethan and bringing them downstairs and everybody's excited to see mr lyle when he arrives i think everybody likes <laughs> the character so seeing in episode two of season two that he's not working directly with them he's also working against them um you know obviously being forced by uh, evelyn Poole is is kind of sad for for all of us watching i think yeah uh, because we like the character so much and just hoped he would be the foppish funny one in the corner as the episodes went on um so it's a bit sad but as i say at least he's allowed to continue to work with them and he won't he won't be put, steering them off all the time so. yeah definitely um i do like it as well when they do go to the british museum where they're kind of he, he's about to go down into the vaults and another mm-hmm. uh, curator is coming back up and he just goes he's my brother um i <laughs> think that's right. really that's good, good. um and uh, and then he's kind of fairly you know, he kind of waves it aside because effectively the British Museum is um, a, just a massive pornography warehouse, um, <laughs> second only to the Vatican. So there are people always nipping down into the vaults to to get a quick um, sort of pervy gander uh-huh. at, at the collection. I love, um, I love second only to the Vatican. Yeah, I, I thought that was really good. <laughs> I, I think... Um, and it, it, it's one of those things that I, I liked were he's... I think Malcolm asks if he can bring the, the Verbus Diablo, these relics back to his place. Um, and again, it's just a nice little touch around, you know, I suppose the collection of, uh, the British Museum mm. where he goes, um, uh, you know, plundered wealth from the British Museum is often ignored. I'll just plunder it back to bring <laughs> to your house. Um, <laughs> and even just the fact that there's all this pornography or whatever in the vaults. It's, it's the, the idea that, you know, there are curators who decide what people see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this, this can very much reflect the, the society at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why a lot of plundered, um, colonial artifacts from different parts of the world were in sometimes so, caused so much excitement uh, and part of that was down to shock because of some of the images mm-hmm. um and then they were quickly as um as mr lal says then were 
put back into storage and were ignored or forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think that's kind of really uh, interesting here yeah. um, as well. The only other thing as well was the heraldic shield aspect as well, where you had the two prancing wolves on one of them. And yes. there's that nice little conversation between Mr. Lyle and uh, Ethan, mm-hmm. uh, not one that isn't um, banter driven, but more just saying that, you know, these totems are of defense. Most people think that they are to instill fear into the enemy yeah but actually it, it is more about the the defense of these creatures for um i suppose the the, the families or the individuals mm-hmm. that have these um totems on their heraldic shields yeah, so i absolutely. thought that was quite nice yeah it, it's just a another level of the mystery for, for ethan as well yeah, unraveling absolutely. it um and him telling about that story about the timber wolves uh, as well. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's, um, I like how they kind of, they add little bits of this just to, just to give you a little bit more sense of Ethan. He's not totally forgotten with his, I mean, he's got yeah. a big role in this season, but, yeah, absolutely. um, but how everything ties together. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's really well integrated. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that scene. Yeah. John, you, um, that guy, the look on the guy's face when, <laughs> when Lyle says, you know, he's, uh, he's my brother. He's, yeah. oh, Skullduggery is not my forte. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you know, I'm not into this. <laughs> it is. It's the other thing I've forgotten when yeah. they're talking about the, the shields and the totems. <laughs> he goes, I looked at my family totem. It was two interlocking fish. On a field of lavender, <laughs> it was like it could only be that. Yeah. Um, and he goes, "Fish." He's kind of like, "Why fish?" <laughs> the power of fish uh, on a field of lavender. Oh my goodness, that I just cracked up. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Is this where I tell you that my family crest has got a fish on it? <laughs> I know it, it does, so, so, yes, but not on a field of lavender. You've <laughs> also got a bloody fist. We do have the uh, yeah. have the the red hand of Ulster on our on our. Uh... Our family crest as well. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, but no, a really good scene. I, I did get the impression that this may not have been the first time that somebody caught Mr. Lyle going into the <laughs> into the bowels of, yeah. uh, of the British Museum with somebody else that he may not have been taking with him. So uh, I did see the reaction of him being called his brother and kind of going, you could have said friend or cousin or something. This guy <laughs> yeah. is definitely not your brother. <laughs> um, is that it about, about Ferdinand Lyle? I know it's a shocking moment that he's uh, that he's working for Madame Callie and uh, Evelyn Poole. Uh, is that it, that it about that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, pretty much. Good stuff. I'll go on to the other moment in the episode, and I think we've talked about the poetics of the character of Caliban before. Um, the oh, the yeah. moment where we have Vanessa um, and Malcolm going to uh, to feed the poor and uh, and sick of London, I think, is a really good scene because I like the essential idea that Vanessa needs someone to take care of her because of everything that's been going on. She feels like she's going completely crazy i suppose you know she asks the question is this what's what is crazy your deepest darkest fears coming out and living in the world um and i like the idea that malcolm goes well if you need a little bit of sanity in your life go here and be selfless for a while um i think that's a really nice touch and she meets up with caliban this is the first time these two characters have been on screen together and you know possibly two of the most interesting characters of the show um having this philosophical and uh, religious debate, I suppose, in a way, um, as they meet each other. I, I kind of like the idea that 
um, Vanessa owns up to the fact that this wasn't a selfless act for her at all. This was an act that she was doing yeah. to relieve herself from some of the pressure and, and tension in her life. Um, and being able to meet someone like Caliban is, is really helpful for her. Um, where she talks about the fact that she hasn't essentially turned her back on God, but they haven't really talked very well in a while kind of thing. And then she gets the perspective of someone like Caliban who believes in poetry more than in, in the books of, of religion. You know, he kind of says, well, I've read the Bible before and then, then I found Word, Wordsworth and I found um, the beauty of the world and everything that's going on here. And it's diametrically opposed to Vanessa's belief that she has to go through her pain on the world here before she can get to heaven and before she can go to a great afterlife. He's saying, well, we only have one life and it's the life we live here on earth. And if you don't experience that, then you need to look closer. If you don't see the beauty in people around you, then you need to find some time to look at that, not plan for what's going to happen in the afterlife. I think it's a beautiful discussion between the two of them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely engaging um, mm-hmm. to listen to these two just talk to each other. And and just before I mention um, stuff about uh, this discussion of, you know, pagans and um, people who find religion, mm-hmm. um, Caliban, he can't complain, can he, anymore about people being mean to him? He's <laughs> so many people are so kind to him. Um <laughs> Um, Vanessa is just so endearing towards him. I, I really mm. loved it. It kind of, it kind of warmed me towards Vanessa again as yeah. well. Like she has, yeah. she shows no sort of, um, discrimination towards him the way he looks. She's very warm to him. Even at the end, she says, Oh, you've got beautiful eyes. You know, yeah. the eyes that even he mentions, I think later on uh, about how they're not your, your typical eyes and they're mm-hmm. not, they're not beautiful at all. Yeah. Um, but I, I did, I love this conversation in the sense that, yeah. Um, Caliban John Clare talks about pagans have it good because they're free. You know, yeah. they, they're not bound by anything. Whereas people who have found religion, there's this constant fear of the devil or evil. Yeah. And, yeah. and for people to, that people do good because they're so scared of being evil and doing mm-hmm. bad. And so you can kind of understand where he's coming from. Yeah. And, and the way yeah. he puts it is just so well put as well. Um, and they just bounce off each other really well. I yeah. really enjoyed this scene. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really good to see the two of them, isn't it? I wonder if that thing with John Clare, with, with Caliban, I wonder if that opinion he has about the other humans, you know, it is kind of, well, it's obviously motivated by what happened to him with Victor, you know, that he was left alone to, to survive on his own. Um, and while he has met some, lovely people and some people who've been lovely to him uh there are other people who have it out for him even his new employer uh we see that um, and he's going to be using him in his exhibition at some point in the future that's why he's employing him but to his face he's very polite and very nice and gives him gives him a great job but uh behind his back he's going to become a feature uh, in the future possibly Mm. so yeah uh, so that's that's an intriguing side of of the people that he meets you know can he really trust the face that people are presenting to him and i think part of the opinion he has about you know being a pagan means you just if you want to treat people well you treat people well and you get and you get uh, payback from that or if you treat people badly they will turn on you so uh, so he will treat everybody around him with respect apart from victor um, and yeah. he has reason to uh, to treat badly but. yeah i i, I love this as well I, I love this conversation i think it's two things it, it it's where like he's saying i believe in this world and the creatures that fill it it's this idea that with with religion you're looking to prevent yourself from going heading you know down effectively um and you want to promote yourself up up to heaven and so as a result do are you ever really who you 
who you are, whether that's for good or for ill. And as you say, Ray, it's the pagans are responsible to each other, not to, to God or the devil, because they are just playing out who they are naturally and that responsibility, whether it's good or evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that. And I thought the quote, um, that he does here, um, from William Blake, you know, William Blake is a massive, character around art and poetry in in this period exploring the idea of religion through his artwork Mm -hmm. and and through his poetry which caliban quotes here for me again that with madame carly's master you know the 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 number 666 the the artwork at the back of the devil used in in the hannibal series um is massively um influential and well known as well as god coming out from behind a sun um you know two massive um sort of pictures uh, around religion and mm. then his um his poetry here saying about finding these heavenly things that we quote around the bible in the, in the day to day from his his poem Augury's of innocence right. so like this is a really nice quote for me because I, I think Blake is like really interesting yeah. in terms of what his philosophy and he was massively influential um at that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought this was lovely. Um it really kind of connected with me actually. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um I do remember that painting now. I remember the episode of uh, of Hannibal that it was used in. It was a, a fantastic like painting. Uh, really important to the show to have that kind of thing. And it's great that they've pinned part of this episode on, on that as well. So very cool. Very cool. That's it for my uh, my big point. Uh, any notes that we haven't talked about? I have one, uh, just because I want to call it out, uh, Brona without her Northern Irish accent. Um, her, <laughs> yes. her London accent. I do wonder, remember we said when we talked about, uh, about uh, Billy Piper in season one, that it's not as um, bad uh, an accent as we remember when we saw it first, uh, her, her Northern Irish accent. But I do wonder after the episodes had aired, did they kind of say, well, when she comes back in season two, we can allow her to speak in her normal accent so she doesn't have to do the Northern <laughs> Irishman again. Exactly. I wonder if there was a bit of a reaction from, from the public who'd watched it or, or something. But uh, I certainly didn't think it was as bad in season one this time around as I did the first time I saw it. Uh, so I just I just thought it was interesting they made that choice to give her a, a London accent again. Yeah. I speak like you. Uh, creator, you know, I kind of like that. Of course, I do. I speak like you because you created me, and I'm only talking to you. So. Yeah, she's very well yeah. pronounced uh, now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good. I mean, if if that was the case, Derek, I think that was a really good cover up and a good save yeah. by the writers and just saying because yeah, it makes sense. And and mm-hmm. and I bought it as well. And it actually furthers her becoming a, a completely different character, which mm-hmm. is like her her new life. So, um, yeah. It works well. Yeah. I thought it was interesting uh, calling her Lily. Uh, you know, Lily Flower is very associated with funerals um, generally, uh, which I, I thought was quite good. Yeah. Her reaction to that as well, I was wondering, and I, 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 you know, I didn't want to read too much into it, but her reaction to being called Lily, where she says, um, I don't know why it is, but that inspires sadness in me. We've talked before about her name meaning sadness in Irish, Brona, uh, her original name meaning sadness in Irish. Is that what she's saying when she hears the name Lily and she goes, I'm thinking of sadness. I'm thinking of Brennan. Possibly, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, could be, yeah. Big note I've got. I kind of with all the the scorpion stuff being, and we see it at the start of this, and um, where um, Vanessa's sort of painting the the scorpion with her own blood on mm-hmm. the floor, and we see it again here. So I, I decided to have a quick look into the scorpion motif because 
it's not just from this episode either. She did have a necklace from season one um, as well with, with scorpions on it, but That's we right. see it in episode one, this episode in episode two. And then in the next episode, there's other versions of the scorpion mm-hmm. done by um, the cut wife of, of Balanchy Moore. Um, and so I, I was kind of like looking into the meanings. Um, and also I'm, I have Scorpio as my uh, star sign. Not mm-hmm. that I necessarily take too much credence in that, but it's pa- <laughs> it, it very much stands for passion, sex, but also change or transition and death, mm-hmm. um, uh, and also for protection. So uh, almost a protection totem, which is certainly used in the next episode, but also of being alone, which really speaks to. Um, I suppose maybe the feelings that Vanessa has in some cases. Mm. Well, she's um, trying to use it as a protection on the yeah, floor, isn't that what she's exactly, drawing yeah. in the floor in, in blood is, is to try and protect herself. Um, and, and so I was looking yeah. at the Egyptian uh, aspect of this, um, just given last season and also relates to death and also in Rome and Greece, it's associated with death because um, a scorpion sting killed Orion. But in Egypt, whilst it relates to death, it's also associated with the journey to to the afterlife okay. and the protection of the body and the viscera and accompanies them on that journey mm. uh, to the afterlife. Uh, I think the other great thing is that it's also the name of the king, as well as another great historical movie, The Scorpion King with The Rock. <laughs> I was about to say. Which <laughs> I, to say. Um, I, yeah. I presume is totally accurate in how The Scorpion King oh, uh, arose. Yeah, the, um, the only thing inaccurate in that movie is the, uh, the special effects to uh, stick his face on top of a big scorpion, which yeah. is awful. I still remember how bad. <laughs> Can that you was. imagine that being king in Egypt with like a, a stingy tail and mm. some big claws? Yeah, uh, until yeah. the giant boost comes along to step on you. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, so I, I thought that was all. Um, it, it's pretty interesting, you know, because it, it's certainly a big feature in. It, it's brought more. Up front, I suppose, in in, in this second season mm. uh, compared to the first. So uh, I I thought that was I, th- I thought I should do a little bit of reading around like that. Yeah, I like it. Ray, anything from you? Any uh, notes that we've left out? Um, yeah, I had just one on Angelique as well. I thought mm-hmm. um, she's a very interesting character. Yeah. Uh, very consistent, I guess, with Dorian's excesses mm-hmm. in the fact that um, this is more of a obvious translation of Dorian being drawn towards someone who I guess is on the fringe of society Mm -hmm. will generate uh, a lot of talk and controversy scandal Uh, and so he gets drawn to Angelique and uh, and they start something as well so very interesting to see again I can't really remember where it goes because from memory Dorian has so many excessive kind of bouts mm-hmm. throughout the season. So yeah. I'm not sure. I can't remember where this one goes, but um, it's, it's interesting to see um, Angelique and she, uh, the, the confrontation at the cafe is mm-hmm. um, a nice little dialogue between the two. Oh, just getting to know yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love yeah. the dialogue between the two of them. And I, I like that it's still connected with Dorian um, looking at the photograph of Vanessa as, as uh, Angelique approaches. Yes. Angelique, no surname, uh, as, she, as she approaches. You know, I, I love some of the banter between the two of them where Angelique says, um, I tried coitness once. I just couldn't carry it off. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. this feeling that she is quite similar to Dorian in some ways, you know, um, saying to him, you know, uh, youth suits you. Um, don't ever grow old. 
old kind of thing. It's something that he's probably heard many times. And as we know, he doesn't grow old. That is yeah. his central yeah. function is that he doesn't ever grow old. So, uh, so intriguing to see what happens with these two characters. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly someone that, that Dorian will enjoy, um, being around and he kind of needs, yes. he kind of needs to have that enjoyment in life that's what he's always pursuing so well we yes we see that um he is going to enjoy uh mm-hmm. angelique for sure i would say yeah. um yeah i like that she says try not to think too much stay simple but beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> i thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> absolutely uh, one note that i have as well um that i thought was quite interesting here how old is evelyn Poole? because there's two comments that she makes in this episode she says uh, when she's with malcolm going off shooting she references not being this happy for eons like, yeah, I mean, yeah. eons is wow. not something that many people would say they'd say you know i haven't haven't been this happy in years but eons is yeah. a very specific word so definitely you wonder is he you know a thousand years old you know, is she another Ooh. person that's, is this why she's sacrificing things to to keep up her own youth? Is she another person that has uh, transcended time? Well, she's a good aim on the rifle range. Certainly. She certainly oh, beats uh, Malcolm. I love that. Also, just inquiring about how she may get further acquainted o- over the shooting of these guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a nice little conversation, um, very pointed between the two of them, which absolutely. I thought was good. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see a bit more of uh, a bit more Malcolm in there. Uh, my last note for the episode is just because the episode is called uh, Verbus Diablo, I uh, have to have a look at that. It's obviously not a real language. Uh, it is made up for the show, but it's created by David J. Peterson, who created Dothraki and Valerian for Game of Thrones. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah, so what he does say is that it's impossible to teach because it's supposed to be something that is that lands with you uh, from Satan from from Lucifer when you hear the voice of the devil. So it doesn't it doesn't have a structure to it the way most languages would have. But he's developed a sort of structure around it so that the actors can at least speak their lines. But you couldn't translate it into English. That is that that's the way he created. But I love that it's uh, that it's someone involved in Game of Thrones who is that's great um, very yeah. heavily involved in that. Yeah. I mean, hats off to the people that do the subtitles to that then. So they, they you know, they, they must know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they're just being spoken to by Lucifer when they're writing the subtitles. <laughs> uh, is that it for notes on, uh, on episode two? Uh, the only other note I've got is um, just, and I think you brought it out in your point, Derek, uh, just that change um, in Malcolm and Vanessa's relationship from last season. Ah, yes. You yes. know, so it's a bit, it, it, it's changed in the, you know, so Malcolm does say, um, wherever we walk, we'll walk together. You know, he, he made his choice in uh, the Grand Guignol Theatre mm-hmm. um, in shooting Mina. Um, and the, there's a more supportive Malcolm here. He's still got his ghosts. He's still got um, his, his demons that haunt him. Um, and there's still room to move. But... Uh, move forward between the two of them but the, the the it's kind of an underlining and saying that yes you are my daughter yeah. uh here uh, and we will walk together um to combat this you know because vanessa is going in to him frightened um distraught yeah. uh, and needing that um that support so yeah. I, I thought that was just an interesting I know, little yeah. change yeah definitely good to pull it out i think that even in the first episode the first time you see the two of them together um vanessa rushes forward to hug malcolm um and there were moments yes. in season one where you felt like she would just be uh killed by malcolm if he could save his daughter but now she is truly his daughter in the second season yeah really oh yeah he he mentions uh as well like i've lost one daughter i'm not about to lose another so mm-hmm. yeah. he, he spells it out clearly to how much vanessa means to him 
Exactly, exactly. Excellent. That's the end of our discussion on Season 2, Episode 2 of Penny Dreadful. And we'll be back later in the week with our discussion about Episode 3 of Season 2, The Nightcomers. can reverse our tracks so that we can do the whole of episode two in like with our our, our words in reverse, in reverse. so it'll sound like oh, verbus that'd diablo. be so cool yeah we, we could we, <laughs> we could release a a special verbus diablo one you know genuinely that's really really easy to do okay there. i think i think Audacity, we should do that but, uh, i've only ever done it once i have reversed your voice once uh, on the podcast oh, really yeah it was when you said, oh, I couldn't edit it out. Uh, I just reversed it to, to cough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the cuff? Yeah. <laughs> what the cuff? Oh, Jesus. What the cuff? It's quite a while ago but, uh, that I, that I <laughs> found the, uh, the, um, the swear jar instead. Yeah, so. yeah that, that's good. <laughs> well, I serve. We've seen this. 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 We